Welcome to the Columbus Connection, a weekly public affairs program produced in, for, and about Columbus County, North Carolina. Now here's your host, the managing editor of Columbus County News, Jefferson Weaver. Welcome, friends and neighbors, to the digital front porch we call the Columbus Connection. This is Jefferson Weaver from ColumbusCountyNews.com coming to you with some ideas and opinions for the past week. Now, this is an election year, and by all indications, it's going to be a nasty one. Now, while we will not hesitate to share opinions during this segment or the commentary section on the CCN website, we're going to be fair. You will not see coverage in our news sections that is cited one way or the other. We encourage any and all candidates to schedule a segment on our program. It's free. You won't be ambushed. We do not want candidates coming in here talking smack about their opponents. But we do want to know why you want whatever job you're signed up for. Every candidate for every office, I don't care if it's from dog catcher to the president of the United States, can have 20 minutes of airtime free here in the studio with me. There's no selective editing, no gotcha questions, no ambushes, just two grown-ups talking. I don't care who you are or what office you want. Whether or not I'm going to vote for you is immaterial. We don't openly or covertly endorse candidates on this radio station or via the ColumbusCountyNews.com website, nor will we do so while I have a say in the matter. Our readers and listeners and your voters deserve better than that. We're a different kind of media outlet at CCN, and that includes being fair to folks whose platforms we might not necessarily agree with. Early voting starts on February 15th, and that really isn't very far away. Uh, Due to the wide field of primary candidates for the March 5th election, we'll be extending our program to one hour on those weeks when we have candidates lined up to visit. Sometimes we might do more. We might even line up a special segment somewhere along the line. The goal is to get everyone on the air before February 15th, but if that doesn't happen, we'll adjust accordingly. We strive to be fair, and just as the Apostle Paul said, the appearance of impropriety is improper. We do not even want to have the appearance of being one side or the other. Now, we'll also welcome the leaders of any and all political parties to join us for a segment. Democrat and Republican, Green, no labels or Libertarian, you're welcome to come spend some time explaining to voters why you think your party deserves more support. Again, it's not a free chance to throw mud, and I will call you down on that. It's an opportunity to explain to the voters why your party deserves more consideration. While we prefer in-studio guests, we can, under some circumstances, make arrangements for you to call in. Again, segments will be 20 minutes long, although you can take less if you prefer. Everybody's busy, especially during election season, so we will get you in and out of our studio and office in 30 minutes or less. We don't want anyone to feel like their time is less valuable. Now, there's multiple ways you can connect with us to set up your time slot. You can call me, Jefferson Weaver, at 910-632-4965. You can email jeffersonweaver at columbuscountynews.com. You can send us a PM on Facebook. Or you can just drop by 1015 South Madison Street in downtown Whiteville. If the blinds are open, we're open for business and you're always welcome. We like keeping our format similar to a front porch. Just a relaxed, civil conversation. You're welcome to pull up a chair and spend some time here. We'll be right back with more on the Columbus Connection. Has your heater or air conditioner busted? Appliance broken? Computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. 
Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trustpilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. ARW Home has warranty plans that cover your kitchen and laundry appliances, heating and air conditioning systems, electrical and plumbing systems, and much more. Call 800-201-1478 to customize your plan. Plus, ARW has partnered with Azurian to protect your new and used tablets, laptops, TVs, and other home tech from accidental damage and wear and tear. All plans come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Call 800-201-1478 now for your free quote. That's 800-201-1478. Welcome back, folks. This is Jefferson Weaver from ColumbusCountyNews.com, and you're listening to the Columbus Connection. Sometimes I think we need to have a segment on this program named after the Eagles song, Get Over It. The Columbus County Courthouse situation is one case where the spirit of that song really can be applied. Now, we've covered the courthouse fight extensively, but the gist of it is that after the courthouse annex was built, There was a lot of political posturing and backdoor dealing going on over how to use the classic courthouse in the circle. It delayed things for a long time. Retired Superior Court Judge Douglas Sasser, when he was still on the bench, ordered county commissioners to formulate a plan on how county leaders were going to handle the old courthouse. From the earliest stages of the project, it was always set to house another Superior Courtroom, the Clerk of Court's office, and the Chief Resident Superior Court Judge's office. Plans were drawn up to do just that. Representative Brendan Jones came through with some serious state money, several million as a matter of fact. Whiteville native and internationally known architect Bill Valentine gave an incredible gift of $100,000 from his own pocket. He said the building is significant and beautiful. Architects began working on a design to follow the plan that was laid out. Construction's been going on for two years with the clerk's office, judge's chambers, and restored courtroom in mind. The building's going to open this summer. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Wrong. Sheriff Bill Rogers notified the commissioners in December that he would need more than $600,000 for additional security at the old courthouse. That number was later adjusted to $200,000 plus, but commissioners and county administration acted surprised. District Court Judge Scott Usry, while maintaining his neutrality, suggested that placing the clerk's office back in the old courthouse could lead to people spending an excessive amount of time walking through traffic to go to the wrong building. County Commissioner Giles' buddy Bird also suggested it was too dangerous to put high-traffic offices like the clerk in the old courthouse. Whiteville Police Chief Doug Ifock said in an email that, he, that approximately 10,000 vehicles a day go around the courthouse roundabout, in an unusual move, IPOC and City Manager Darren Curry both offered opinions that the clerk's office needed to stay in the annex. At the same time, the one who knows it most intimately, the clerk of court, Jess Hill, has stood firm on the original plan, as approved by Judge Sasser in the court. Now, that plan would move the clerk's office to the courthouse. This opens the current clerk's quarters in the annex for the public defender's office, which will be led by the very able Jacob Ward, As Ward pointed out, his new department will require security and close proximity to the courtrooms they use most. As anyone who has ever been to traffic court on 
child support day can testify the majority of courtroom action takes place in one or all of the four courtrooms in the annex. Now, the public defender has to deal with folks who are often very upset, sometimes even still behind bars. It's just a few steps from the prisoner holding area at the annex from what could be the future PD's office, which is currently the clerk's office. That's as opposed to walk across the street and back again if the defender was placed in the old courthouse. Now, renovating the Dempsey Herring building for the public defender's offices would be significantly more expensive than, than the conversion of the county administration building to the district attorney's offices. Any alleged cost savings from providing security that was going to be needed anyway would be eaten up, and then some with renovations at the Herring building. So why are some leaders determined to change horses in midstream when the court has already approved a plan, which was paid for by tax dollars, a plan was created, and construction is almost complete, and just months before the people's house is supposed to open, they want to change? The future operating costs have always been there. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. You know you've got to put gas in the car. You know you've got to keep, you know, keep the oil changed, keep it lubricated, keep tires on it. The traffic congestion at the courthouse has always been there. It's purely by the grace of God that more people haven't been hit crossing the street to get to the courthouse in the annex, but they've been doing it for more than 100 years. Personally, I think some leaders have less confidence than they should in the ability of their constituents and citizens to look both ways before crossing a street, but that's neither here nor there. We do have some intellectually challenged folks in our area, but most folks can cross the street safely. The planned pedestrian walkway will further improve safety there. As far as the idea that's been bounced around that district court judges should have new offices in the old courthouse, a judge's place is in the courtroom. The offices currently assigned to the district court judges are used very, very little. Of well, five or six judges are assigned to work here, they have two other counties' courts to deal with as well. It's rare that more than two or three are here at one time, and there are days when the judges' offices are completely vacant. The taxpayers do not need to provide million-dollar offices in the restored courthouse for judges who will not be here, thus, and that would prevent the courthouse from being used by the general public and being accessible to the public. Now, that's not to mention the fact that providing offices for district court judges in the old courthouse and leaving the clerk in the annex would still mean the county has to provide space and security for the public defender's office. Now, it would be too large for the available space in the old courthouse, as well as it, that would give the impression of preferential treatment by the courts if the PD's office was in the new court, the old courthouse. County Commission Chair Ricky Bullard announced at the last meeting that the plan was laid out and approved by the courts and it will remain in place. It makes sense fiscally, logistically, and security-wise. Yet there are still some who are determined to undermine that plan a move that, and that is a move that would cost the county even more money. Oh, by the way, there's no more free money coming from Raleigh on this project, so any future changes will have to be funded by the taxpayers, although the critics are claiming they're trying to save the taxpayers' money by spending even more money now than was originally planned. Are you confused yet? Welcome to the club. There are rumored to be other factors at play here, some political quid pro quo on a project we fear will be a white elephant to both white people and the county, but no one will go on record, even for background, admitting that those threads are intertwined with the courthouse project. Suffice to say, the goal may have been to be sure everyone's back is being very well scratched. We hope the critics of the courthouse plan will gracefully bow out. 
If it makes things run smoother and helps people feel better, let there be another vote on it. But make it quick. There doesn't need to be weeks of delays and considerations while people jockey for their position. All the information that is available is there. It's not going to change anything. As the good book says, commissioners on either side should let their yay be yay or their nay be nay. We hope both sides, or all sides as the case may be, will settle their differences and move onward to do what is right for our county. This has gone on long enough. The issue has been debated, detailed, and voted on, and only two more steps remain. The official finalization of the future of the historic courthouse and opening the doors of the people's house to the people's business. Let's hope personal motivations are set aside and, metaphorically at least, they can get over it. We'll be right back with more on the Columbus Connection. If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. 800-741-5819. 800-741-5819. That's 800-741-5819. Paid for by Legal Alert Line. Welcome back, folks. This is Jefferson Weaver with the final segment of the Columbus Connection. January 6th was the anniversary of the protest, riot, insurrection, or whatever you want to call it, at Rock, Washington, D.C., and led to a shameful witch hunt by politically weaponized federal agencies. It seems almost forgotten by everyone except the Democrats who want to jail people who vote against them, and the folks they're continuing to chase for having dared dared to speak out against Joe Biden and the platform of the left. It's embarrassing and frightening to see what was exposed when the powers that be were frightened. Hundreds of thousands of people went to the U.S. Capitol City on January 6, 2021 to exercise their right to free speech and to show their support for outgoing President Donald Trump. An infinitesimal few went with the misguided idea of causing trouble. Now, despite information that suggested those troublemakers were planning something untoward, then-Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi refused, in writing no less, to provide National Guard troops for extra security despite President Trump's written request for the same. There is no question that some of the people who scaled the steps of the Capitol were indeed committing crimes and intended to do so. The grandmothers and blue-collar workers who were ushered into the People's House by Capitol Police, however, were not insurrectionists. There are people from right here in our county who went up there to show their appreciation of Trump. They were not intent on preventing the legal and orderly transfer of power as has been done in our country for more than 200 years. People who flew into Washington to see the historic occasion were not heading there with a craven desire to create chaos. Yet since that time, 
Almost anyone who was in Washington City on January 6th could be facing a knock on the door from federal agents wearing tactical gear. Individuals who expressed support for the outgoing president or distrust at the honesty of the elections that sent Joe Biden into office have become subjects of otherwise illegal wiretaps, surveillance, and harassment based purely on the anonymous accusations of folks who are sometimes among the least reputable in their own communities. Don't laugh, folks. It was going on around here. Just because someone says a person was in Washington on January 6th is grounds for a visit by humorless people bearing firearms, subpoenas, and sometimes search warrants. What in the world has happened to our country? Why is the rule of law set aside in favor of those true rioters who caused billions of dollars in property damage and murdered people during the months leading up to the elections of 2020? Yet the full force of the federal government is turned on those who went to see an historic event in the nation's capital. Why can't the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation honestly answer how many undercover agents his agency had working on January 6th? Again, I offer the caveat that some bad actors were present and apparently did try to cause trouble. I met and interviewed one of them who's been convicted, Stuart Rhodes, months before January 6th. I was immediately struck by the man's intelligence and his deep-seated desire to be the center of attention. We spoke a number of times over the following months. Now, while I agreed with some of the things he said, things like the sanctity of the Constitution, states' rights, self-discipline, personal responsibility, and such as that, Rhodes struck me from the start as, quite honestly, being a snake oil salesman. I never wrote my main interview with him because I didn't take him seriously. Now, I know some folks who did listen to his rhetoric, and later they wisely distanced themselves from him. Yet in the weeks and months after January 6th, they found themselves being hounded by federal law enforcement, kicked off the social media, and libeled in the public square because they had been associated with Rhodes, or even, in at least one case, simply met him twice. By that standard, every person who attended one of Bill Clinton's visits in downtown Weibel should potentially be questioned by those investigating the Jeffrey Epstein flight logs. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Well, it is. Let's get something straight. I make no bones about the fact that I distrust a strong centralized government. I distrust self-perpetuating bureaucracies whose operating manuals are based on preventing the taxpayers who support them from easily receiving the services said bureaucracies are supposed to provide. I am firmly Jeffersonian, no pun intended, in my philosophies, with some slightly less vindictive Andrew Jackson in the mix. If you don't understand, you need to read more. Simply, I do not trust the government to tell me the entire truth or to operate in an efficient manner or be a good steward of taxpayer resources. But the idea of an armed insurrection based on those issues is horrifying. What happened on January 6th was by no means an attempt to take over the government. It was stupid and it was frightening. It may have even been a serendipitous series of collisions of unrelated plans by politicians to embarrass Trump supporters and crazed bad actors intent on somehow making a dollar off of causing a media event. But it was no insurrection. Elsewise, there would have been a lot of gunfire and we wouldn't be having this conversation. And folks, the government would have won and the resultant dictatorship would have been one to make North Korea's leader envious. It was not worse than 9-11, as so many commentators claimed. It was not worse than the war between the states. Fewer than 10 people actually died, not the 50 or 75 as some of the media have claimed. 
Most died from pre-existing medical conditions exacerbated by fighting, tear gas, or pepper spray. Of those tragic casualties, only one person was shot, that she was an unarmed protester killed by a federal officer who randomly fired into a crowd. Heck, it wasn't as bad as the George Floyd riots of the previous summer. It just happened in the Capitol building instead of on city streets. Whatever January 6th was, it was not an attempt to take over or even forcibly change the government of the United States. We have an electoral process for a reason, but it seems like some people have forgotten that. We need to elect leaders who have the courage to actually fix things that are broken, even when it's frustrating and people call them names. We as voters and taxpayers need to demand and get accountability in the manner as prescribed by law. The idea of a true civil war, not a war between the United States and states that seceded constitutionally and were invaded, but the very idea of a true civil war in our country is horrifying. While I have little or no faith in many of those involved in the system of government, I still have faith in the electoral process, that we as Americans have a responsibility to be louder and firmer than those who claim that they are better and smarter than the average American simply because they live in and work for the government. References to George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm are nowhere near as ridiculous nowadays as they should be. But we as Americans must remember that the only reason the pigs were allowed to become more equal than other animals in the barnyard is because the other animals voted the pigs to be in control and left them there. Thank you for being with us on the Columbus Connection this week. Dissenting opinions are always welcome and encouraged. Shoot, if you really take issue with something I said on the program, come sit down with me and we'll discuss it on the air like civilized people. Like we said before, this is our digital front porch. There's always a spare rocking chair. Who knows? We might even can find some middle ground and at least solve a couple of the world's problems. For ColumbusCountyNews.com, this is Jefferson Weaver. Let's make it a great week. This has been the Columbus Connection with Jefferson Weaver. If you have a story that you want to share with us or a comment on a previous program, you can email us at columbusconnection at columbuscountynews.com. The Columbus Connection is produced by Jones Media Partners, and the program is recorded live at the WTXY Studios in downtown Whiteville, North Carolina. Our in-studio producer is Daryl Jackson. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of the Columbus Connection. Thanks for listening.